Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me on, uh, well, you know, the end of things, uh, as it were. Uh, and <laughs> joining me to talk about that is a fellow contributor, Akshaz Dividuela. Akshaz, man, how are we doing? We're okay. Um, you know, like... You and I were talking right after the game ended, and obviously I got a little sick over the weekend, so we couldn't do a post-game recap. But we were also just talking about how there wasn't really much to recap. You know, it was 7-7 with Josh Johnson, then (laughs) that defensive drive, the fumble, then Johnson gets concussed, and the game's over. And it was such an empty feeling to watch that second half and see the offense just like be incapable of doing anything anymore. Cause there literally wasn't a player who could throw a ball accurately more than 15 yards down the field. I think that might be uh, giving Brock more credit. Um, I think McCaffrey was going to throw the ball at one point and then they like the, they like double reverse pass play that, that they ran at one point, but yeah, it, I mean, I I didn't have a lot of. I mean, at least Josh Johnson gave them the sort of general threat of throwing the ball, but I mean, not enough that they were just going to back off. I mean, I think even if Johnson had remained in the game, I I don't know that there was there was really a chance that 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 uh, there was ever going to be a chance of them to come back and and win that game. And then, of course, as we know now, it wouldn't have made any difference anyway. More than likely, because um, then at that point they would have been counting on. Garoppolo being ready to go, even if they had somehow come out, come back and won, 
then we're just basically looking at, at Garoppolo coming back and hoping that would have worked. So in the long run, it's probably <laughs> as much as it, as it's, as it sucked to lose again in the NFC championship game, it's probably better to do that rather than sort of limp your way into the Super Bowl and get beaten down by the chiefs. Um, which might've happened if, if, with the given the quarterback situation the way that it was i don't i don't know what that would have turned out to be um and the other thing that we that we that i i mentioned to you and as we were kind of talking about it after it's just like i don't i don't know how much you get out of that game like you learned that if you get to your fourth quarterback in the nfc championship game you're you lose like that's that's about it right um we don't know if if brock purdy could have withstood the pressure of the eagles defense and made good plays and kept the 49ers in the game because he was not in there long enough to know. Um, and so we learned absolutely nothing about whether or not the Niners were actually up to par with, with the Eagles or if the Eagles were just that much better than them. We know that without an offense, the Eagles were that much better than the 49ers, but I don't know. Um, it, it certainly doesn't feel like that in reality, the Eagles were, were that many points better than the 49ers, but I, I well, we, we will not know uh, ever. Um, we may know uh, next year if the teams are kind of the same and they'll they'll play each other again at uh, in, in Philadelphia next year. But, um, yeah, it, it's just sort of a disappointing way to go out. Not necessarily because they lost. Obviously, losing is bad. But I, I'm, I'm more disappointed, and I've been saying this to, to a lot of people who've been asking me about it, I'm more disappointed that it didn't even get started. They didn't even get a chance to see if they could compete because of the way that that it went down and that's the major disappointment for me i agree i think so you know it was it was a tough situation because so i'll just explain how i was watching it i chose to watch it alone i very intentionally made sure people weren't around me because i knew i was going to lose it because it's a high high stress environment and then I was already sick, so I'm like coughing throughout this game. And it's it was just like that first drive, I felt pretty good, even though it was a touchdown. Then obviously Shannon Hinchu threw the challenge flag, yada yada yada. I felt like, okay, there's a there's a chance. Like it's gonna be a fun game, it's gonna be a good game, it's gonna be a close game. Maybe they lose. I'm not gonna like I think there was a natural like fan tendency and this is totally like fair in like the heat of the moment for 49ers fans to be like, Oh yeah, the Eagles were, we would have destroyed them if Brock stayed healthy. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I think the Mm -hmm. Eagles likely could have, they probably would have been the favorites in that game, but I mean, I think the 49ers defense came to play until like, and I think they came to play long enough, much more than like, like I think you have to commend them to some extent because yeah. obviously it's the NFC Championship game, and it's like, like obviously you should be playing like you have nothing to lose. But I mean, up until like Josh Johnson getting hurt, they were really right in there. Mm-hmm. You know, the two late touchdowns were disappointing but not really like i mean basically from seven nothing they managed to keep the eagles basically shut down and it took a couple of questionable penalties and you know the officiating was a big factor in both championship (laughs) games 
I don't yep. think it would have it changed anything in the NFC Championship game, just given obviously, right? No quarterback, but <laughs> you know, it was a it was a really good effort by them, and I think the 49ers offense was able to move the ball to some extent. I think the pressure got to him a little more than anyone would have wanted, but like like you said, it was a disappointing kind of end to a season. Just a frustrating game to watch because you like the Niners could never really get off their best punch. And that was the sentiment I think that most players had was, you know, we didn't really have a chance. Yeah. But it was it was over before it started, basically. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, very very reminiscent of like the timing, it, I guess a little a little earlier in the game than when in the in the, with the Seahawks game when when Trey Lance got hurt, right? Um, in terms of that, where you're just like, oh, okay, well, what's going to happen? Except for the difference being that you didn't have Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the bench this time uh, to save the game. Um, that 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 turned out to be the fact that he was not ready to go turned out to be a problem. I know we were talking about how that. It wasn't going to be a problem. It's no big deal. It turned out to be a problem. Oh, as it as it turned out, uh, it would have been nice to have Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the bench, even if he was not like, I, I don't know. I mean this. I mean this with no disrespect to Josh Johnson, who I'm sure is a, a lovely human being, but like 75% of Jimmy Garoppolo might have been better than what Josh Johnson was putting out there. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which, I think which is saying a lot because I don't know. No, no, you're totally right, and I think. Again, like I totally agree. I think Josh Johnson did admirably for his like situation, right? Like people have this like absurd idea that if anyone gets any playing time whatsoever, that they have to be like immediately elite. And like that's not fair to Johnson, who seems to be a stand-up like teammate, a well-respected guy who's carved out like a career being a third string practice squad quarterback. There are very few people who have that talent, but like to expect him against one of the, I think we had mentioned if there were like five defenses in the NFL who are the best in the league, the Eagles would be in there and they'd probably be second behind the 49ers. You're asking a fourth string quarterback, never started a playoff game before in his already in like a pressure packed environment against an incredibly talented defense to like excel. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't super atrocious too. That's the thing. No. He wasn't great, but he was playing adequately enough. And then the fumble happened yeah. and then, you know, that everything fell apart off that. And that was, I think the only time real time where I was like, okay, like this is, this is just like a talent issue to some extent like this is something that you wouldn't expect a, a quarterback who has a little who you'd expect to be higher up on the depth chart to do <laughs> right but, that, no no go ahead yeah i mean that's the thing you would have expected brock purdy to do right that that that's they, the the flipping the the sort of the poise that he has shown and and the the just i don't know i i, I suppose johnson did not expect to to be playing in the game and it kind of showed at times that he was just not like a little bit like wide-eyed and like okay what's going on here um and for a guy who's been around the league for a long time it's kind of surprising to see that but 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. That was if the if the initial turning point in the game was when Purdy went out, the second was the fumble, because if you think about it, if if they're able to get anything out of that drive and they, you know, they had a nice first play, a nice throw to Debo to get some yardage out of that right before the fumble. If they don't fumble the ball and if they're able to move the ball down the field and again, he gives you at least the, the small like he's probably going to throw the ball <laughs> more than likely. Right. Um, whereas once Purdy came back in, it was pretty obvious that they weren't, he was not going to. Um, but with, with Johnson, if he doesn't fumble the ball and you wonder like if they get a field goal out of that and it's 14 to 10 ball at coming half. into the half, that's a, you're feeling, a, you're feeling like pretty incredible about that. And you're like, okay, well maybe, um, I mean, obviously he's, if he still gets concussed later on in, the, in the third quarter, it doesn't matter. Right. But, that is, but the that was sort of for me the point at which I went, okay, yeah, we're really toast, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Purdy went out and was like, oh, we're, this is not good. Like, this is this is going to be really hard to stay in this game. And then as soon as they made it 21, as soon as he fumbled that ball, and then a couple plays later they made it 21-7. I was like, okay, we can't score 23 points or whatever it's going to take to <laughs> to win this game at this point. Um, and then from there it was just how long can the defense hold them from, from scoring and to their, in their great defense, they kept them, they held them the 10 points in the second half. Now, granted they didn't need to score any more points. So there was not that much necessity from the Eagles uh, offensively, but still like the fact that they could have just, I mean, the Eagles could have just rammed it down their throat and, and tried to score as many points as they could. And they were not able to. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of conversation for a game that we said we, couldn't talk about very much um, but yeah I mean I, I think the 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 bigger question of course is uh, how does this does, does this change the way we feel about the season I was I was thinking about actually what you have been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks in a row about like enjoying the ride enjoying the ride and then right here before the NFC championship game you you were like enjoy the ride but also like really enjoy this but also really like get behind the team etc cetera, etc cetera. um and i just kept thinking about all those things and i was like okay does this change how we feel about the season and obviously it does a little bit right it changes it well quite a bit because it doesn't feel as successful as it could have been but at the same time i don't know what what what's your sort of overall feel for it and then we're going to get into some more specific like things about the season on, on the whole i think it has to some extent right like no one wants to it's one of the biggest like cliches in the nfl but in any sport but it's true if it's if you're playing for a singular championship only one team is going to be happy yeah and i think you know obviously I think once this like train of 10 straight wins plus the 12 straight wins, including the playoffs, really caught on. And it wasn't just a, oh, they're like, they got hot. This was like, a, oh, they're really, they're really going. I think it's, it was natural for people to, um, to get their hopes up. And I think that's a fair thing to do. The 49ers were, were, in that game, even with Josh Johnson, like they were heavy underdogs once they lost Purdy, but that was still like they had a chance. But I think I think it's it's hard to right now really appreciate the absurdity of this season <laughs> because 
it's you know it's too close by and i think in general there's there's something about like needing to finish the finish the deal at some point within this stretch because these like this season i truly hope people in the moment were able to like not take for granted the talent and like just the insanity of what was going on because that's not going to happen again but it's hard to look back on a season like this like i'll just give a quick contrast this season is objectively by every like metric of what happened more interesting and more enjoyable and more rewarding than 2017 sure but i think you'd be hard pressed to find a 49ers fan who would look upon this season in the moment now or even in like a year and find it like just personally more satisfying than 2017. And I think it's just about how it ended and like what it says about the future, right? If you don't win the Super Bowl, the only thing as like a fan you have from this season is what do we have next year? Mm -hmm. And you know, we'll talk about this as we talk about everything this season. <laughs> but what do the 49ers have next year? They have uh, a top five roster. They have have to find a new defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. They still don't know who their quarterback is. There's, there's like a sense of what is it for this team that's going to get it to the next level. And maybe it's a player. Maybe it's just, you know, luck. Maybe they yeah. will finally be lucky for one year. So I think <laughs> it's it's tough. And I've, I was thinking about this too. This is going on to, this is going to be a longer, I think, diatribe. Because <laughs> I, I was just, this season reminded me of like the kind of like ways people are fans. And, you know, not everyone's the same type of fan. Some people are really, really hardcore and passionate and like, associate their life to the team other people are kind of like in it for a little bit you know they don't like invest a ton into it and i think that's either way is fine no one should tell you how to root for a team you like but with a with a level of investment you're like you're giving up like a function of control right like the loss will hurt the wins will will soothe and it's just the, <laughs> yeah. like, it's kind of like the nature of it, right? Because, and, you know, I have not been alive for the 49ers to win a Super Bowl. So I only assume that having that moment when it clicks, when it happens, when that victory comes, you get back the joy. The joy you get back is, like, consummate with the the energy you put in. Yeah. So you know, you open yourself up to things like this because to like feeling disappointment and the inability to really enjoy the season for all its wackiness because, (laughs) you know, you invest that hoping that when the Lombardi is lifted, you get that joy back. Yeah. I think that's, that's good. That's, that's true. Right. If, if you, if you don't, if it doesn't hurt a lot when the things go badly, then it's not going to feel quite as good when, when they're like, yeah, they finally get out over the edge, um, you know, and, and get that, uh, that that next championship. Um, I do think it's it's interesting, um, 
and this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about as sort of a summary for the for the year. Um, it and I'm I'm stealing this. I think uh, I heard Matt Mayoko say this on the 49ers Talk podcast immediately after the game. Um, basically, he's like, "What are the odds that a team will be down to its third quarterback through the like basically the second half of the season, and the the quality of the quarterback play continues?" Continues to improve as as you go along, right? It's supposed to be the other way around, right? You start with your starter, who's supposed to be your best player, and then when you get down to the backup, there's supposed to be a little drop off. And for various reasons, um, that didn't happen. You know, Garoppolo had a little bit of a start to his to his campaign this year, but once he kind of got moving, he was he was humming along. And when he went down, um. Purdy stepped right in and immediately elevated the play again. And it's just kind of strange. And and the funny thing is, is that essentially when we're, when we're upset that Josh Johnson didn't win the game for us in the NFC championship game, we're like, how come this didn't happen again? How come the L the quarterback play didn't get elevated a fourth time? Um, when really we were playing with the law of averages pretty heavy uh, with the fact that we, that we were already seeing that happen in reverse order of the way it should have happened. Um, so it, it, it only makes sense that that was <laughs> that was the way it was going to work out. Um, it should have gotten worse as the season got along and it got better, which is just crazy and triumphant and kind of cool, actually. I, I agree. I mean, I think, and this is probably a good segue into talking about some of the craziness of this season, is just what happened with the 49ers was just like it was the perfect example of what happens when you take like an incredible team and you just like essentially play Russian roulette at the quarterback position. <laughs> and I mean, I think it's Brock Purdy played really, really well. Gruplo was playing well too. And I think Lance, especially in the glimpse we saw him play, not in like a monsoon, I think he was showcasing his own ability as well. I I think it's just it was it was a testament to not only like the players themselves but also just this team. I think the 49ers roster will be is one of the best best in the league. And I think that allowed basically until you ran up to the Nick Mullins CJ Beathard situation basically where you have a quarterback that's simply like not capable enough of like keeping you around. They were right there. And that's insane because there are very few teams. I almost want to say there are no teams other than the 49ers that are so well built to withstand so many injuries to the most important position to where, like you said, there was this almost this expectation of like, yeah, well, Josh Johnson has to do it because everyone else has. Right. And that's a little it's unfair. A, it's just absurd. Johnson. First that, of all, it's <laughs> absurd. And it's a little unfair to Johnson to just be like, totally. I mean, like everyone's playing well here. You got wrong do with it. you. <laughs> but I mean, it's. I think as we get into like talking about the season, I think I know for me personally my discussion will probably be a little more negative than positive just because, you know, they didn't win the Super Bowl and it's hard to like really be up positive about like things that are going on. So I'll get this out of the way now before 
<laughs> negativity takes that, over. That's I just your think, disclaimer. Yeah. I think there's a there's there are fewer team, very few teams I would take to be take over the 49ers and how they set themselves up just from a pure like infrastructure situation. The talent they have, the coaching they have, and the ability to replicate their success now that they've like built their core. And so long as you have these elements, you're going to be close to contention. You add like a legitimate franchise quarterback, and this is that's what a model franchise is. And eventually, unless you're like the Buffalo Bills, you'll you will one of the times you'll break the hump, you'll get over the hump, and you'll you'll win it all. And if this becomes a Bills 2.0 situation, that would be we're halfway there, man. That would be <laughs> that would be something, something although, indeed. Although, really, what we've replicated now is the 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 uh, Steve Young teams of the '90s who couldn't get past the the uh, Cowboys. We've got a couple in a row now. So, the Niners have done this before. This is not outside of the the realm of possibility. But that means the good news is is that means the Super Bowl is in the horizon. So, if we are following the model, we're we're getting very close um, to 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 get to getting there. So. Everybody buckle up. Um, <laughs> all right. So, um, Akshos, you had a, a an idea, which I, I liked, one that we're, we're kind of stealing from uh, from the from the, the site that uh, we're at 49er Noise, uh, which we do uh, after every game. We do game uh, game grades. And I know that you've done a lot of uh, grading uh, of, of the team throughout the season. So um, you said, hey, what if we graded the the units on the whole uh, for for the season? I said, that's that's a great idea. That's that's smart. Uh, it's good thinking. Um, that's why we keep you around um, <laughs> for for all your good ideas and all your smart your smart thoughts. Um, so 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 we do this. It's like different every, each unit, like the passing game, the off the rushing, the rushing attack. Um, and then both sides of the defense and special teams and coaching is that those are those the categories if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we can keep it like that. That'll be pretty good. Cool. It really hits the main points. All right, good. All right, so we'll start with the offensive passing game, which I think is going to be a little bit difficult to to talk about, um, generally speaking, because of the aforementioned quarterback uh, situation. Um, I I almost feel like. Trey Lance gets kind of left out of this conversation because of the the monsoon situation. And I don't, I don't recall. I don't think he'd thrown the ball that much uh, before he went down in the Seahawks game. Um, I, I don't remember the scenario of of that. Um, but I, I, as I recall, he had not attempted that many passes before he got hurt. Um, let's see if I can pull this up and see what his numbers were. Before he went down, um, he was two of three for 30 yards. So, yeah, so he barely factors into the to the passing game uh, scenario. But of course, this also uh, talks about like receivers and everybody catching the ball as well. So, um, Akshas, as the resident um, grader of the uh, the 49ers this year, um, I'll let you start and kind of get us going in terms of what you think the the grade for the passing game should be. I would give the passing game a B. And the reason I say a B is because I think it was, I think it was remarkably like talented when it needed to be. 
but there was always something that was that wasn't really clicking until Purdy got along. Then when Purdy got there, things were like crazy, but everything was crazy. So that I think so I think basically what we saw was we saw the talent of the 49ers like skill positions really, really shine. George Kittle with his eight touchdowns, I want to say, but I will double check that because I don't want to be underrating Kittle's yep. performance. Um, he had 11 total touchdowns. He had eight with Purdy, I believe. Yeah, you're right. So Kittle really, I think he really like reemerged in the most important way because if there was a knock on George Kittle that you could like reliably put on him as opposed to like general tight end quality questions that are often a product of scheme and like how the offenses attack defenses was that he wasn't really a big red zone guy, but he really, really became a big red zone target. I think Debo Samuel had a down year by his standards, but still was capable of breaking games wide open like he did against the Seahawks. And then I think the biggest, I don't even want to say surprise because I feel like most people knew this was to come from him, but the biggest like improvement was Brandon Ayuk who put in a thousand yard season, which is tremendous. I was about to say remarkable. I like it. Remarkable. Trademark that word. (laughs) If what's it called? If Trey Lance, Comes back and is better than ever. Remarkable may be popping up in an Ooh, article next year. I like it. But I think Ayuk really demonstrated his like top in talent. And he's like, he's every bit as like talented and valuable as Debo Samuel is. He's just utilized in a more traditional receiver role in an offense that does not frequently utilize traditional receivers as much as they do use some sort of hybrid like mm-hmm. ability. But I think those are all the really, 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 really good parts is that if they can manage to keep all of them around, I think Brandon Ayuk liked on Instagram someone <laughs> an edit of like him in a Giants jersey. Yeah, Don't gracious. really think that means anything. He is like it's 50 year option time for him. He is mm-hmm. coming up on extension talks. So you know probably all part of the game but with those three players around and then christian mccaffrey who i won't really touch upon in the passing game even though he was a revelation i think there's like this core is something you can easily build around quick negatives because i've been talking way too much and (laughs) you will have you're good you're good you're doing you'll have an incredible insight Overall, of this, I'm sure it's just I just think the secondary weapons weren't really effective in the passing game this year, yeah. and I think that is an issue. Like, how legitimate the 49ers' interest in Odell Beckham Jr. was or wasn't, I'm not entirely sure, but I think the fact that they plausibly circled around him is probably a good indication that. I think Matt Mayoka also mentioned back in training camp and in the beginning of the season that Juwan Jennings hadn't made the steps the team had w- wanted him to like take. Um, Danny Gray basically rode the bench until he was a special teams player. Ray McLeod did pretty well in like the Debo role, but 
wasn't really able to break himself out of this like gadget position. And I think in general, there was an inability from the 49ers to utilize a third receiver or really get a good second tight end going that allowed them to potentially have a truly potent attack from multiple formations using multiple personnel groups as opposed to basically having to carve up defenses with the same four play five players, Kittle, Juszczyk, McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's I think that's all right. Um, I think if anything, this offensive passing game and was was underwhelming to a certain extent. If you look at their total yardage, finished uh, 13th in the NFL with 3,856 yards. Um, but they did they did throw for 30 touchdowns as a as a unit, which was fourth in the NFL and just nine interceptions among the three uh, starting quarterbacks, which is pretty good um, for each from Garoppolo and Purdy and one from Lance. Um, so that that bodes well. I mean, if you look at that season, if that was like one quarterback and it was like thirty eight hundred and fifty fifty yards, thirty touchdowns, nine interceptions, you'd be like, sweet. Maybe you'd like to see that number. It's it's kind of sad how long it's been since the 49ers had a 4,000-yard pass. Actually, I don't think they've ever had a 4. They have not had a 4,000-yard passer maybe ever. I could be wrong about that. But if they have, it's been a long time. Um, and that seems to be a number that they should be eclipsing in the NFL these days, even if they're still a, you know, quote-unquote run-heavy team. Um, I still feel like they they got to be getting closer to 4,000 yards uh, from their passing game. Um, just, I just feel like it's, it's, it's gotta be something that they're shooting for. I think they should be a lot closer in terms of not only having a thousand yard receiver, but having p- potentially somebody, um, pretty, a lot closer. Uh, Kittle was second within the, in the, on the team with 765 yards. Debo had 632 in only 13 games, which is pretty impressive. Um, but it, it feels to me like with that, group of receivers if, if Samuel and Ayuk and, and Kittle are going to be around for a while what should we should be looking at is somebody in the thousands someone in the 900s and someone in the 800s you know barring health and all that kind of stuff um, which it should be noted that Kittle probably had his healthiest season uh, of his career he played 15 games um, missed the first two and was pretty and it was very durable from there on out but yeah I think um, you you noted two big needs that there are two big things that this team should be looking for in the off season is either figuring out a way to get more out of Juwan Jennings or out of uh, Danny Gray or somebody like that, or, and, but most notably, I think it's finding somebody who's not Ross Dwelly or Charlie Warner or Tyler Croft as a second pass catching tight end. Um, it, you know, they're fine for what they do, but neither of them are threats. <laughs> Uh, Croft caught four balls for 57 yards. Dwelly caught three for 105, and Warner did not have a catch on two targets all year. So um, that's seven catches for 160 something yards from from three players. That's it's not that's not good and not uh, not something that you want. And as you say, it doesn't allow them to be multiple in that regard because once they throw Croft or Dwelly or Warner out there, you're like, oh, that guy's not catching the ball. We don't have to worry about him. So um, it's it's just it's just something to to, to pay attention to. So I think that B is right in the right, right area. So good stuff. All right. Um, let's see. I'm, I will take the rushing attack. Um, so you don't talk first every time. <laughs> um, I am going to go, I'm going to say it's, uh, an, an a minus for me. 
Um, and maybe that may be a little high and maybe it's in that B plus a minus range. Um, I think good yardage, good, um, good overall yardage, fairly good amount of attempts. They were ninth in the NFL in attempts and eighth in yardage and 10th in yards per attempt. All, all good things. Um, obviously with the uh, attrition at the position, they, they didn't get anybody to eclipse a thousand yards. It was pretty impressive that McCaffrey had 746 yards in his 11 games with the 49ers. Um, that's that's pretty pretty crazy. Um, but of course, their second leading rusher, uh, Akshaz, would be who on the on the season? Well, okay, so unfortunately, I'm cheating right now. Oh, okay, so you know, darn it, <laughs> I do know. I would not have guessed him though, Mr. Jeff. I know because he's Jr. completely forgotten because he did most of it in the at the beginning of the year. They traded him off, and it was yeah, he was he was second. Um, after that, they had a bunch of guys in the two hundreds. Uh, Elijah Mitchell obviously didn't play very much. Um, Jordan Mason had pretty decent numbers, um, and then Debo Samuel had two hundred thirty-two yards rushing um, throughout the season. So. Um, Obviously, a one-man show, uh, something there they're going to have to think about. Um, I think it was a pretty effective and efficient running game for the most part. Um, if you look at all those individuals, especially the guys that carry the ball a lot, um, so speaking specifically of uh, Devo, Samuel, Jordan Mason, Elijah Mitchell, uh, Jeff Wilson, uh, who's not here anymore, but Christian McCaffrey as well, their efficiency numbers are pretty good. They're 4.7 yards per carry um, or higher, which is which is nice. Um, and you like to see that. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. Elijah Mitchell couldn't stay healthy this year. Um, Jordan Mason played well when he got the opportunity. But for this year, I think they they did well with the group that they had. They certainly needed McCaffrey, and he certainly infused this team with with something uh, towards the end of the year. But um, I think that, that A-minus right to me. I don't know what your thoughts are. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It's a tough one for me because I think with McCaffrey, it was it was exceptional. I would put it at like an A. But without McCaffrey, it really was up and down. I think it was quite good with Lance and quite bad with Garoppolo. 
pre-McCaffrey. And I think a lot of that had to do with the way the 49ers had basically structured their running game to work as an offshoot of Trey Lance for this year. I I don't know. I I would probably go lower. Like, for how absurd it sounds, I think the 49ers passing game was better than their rushing game this year because of just, like, the efficiency of it. I will probably interrupt you while you're talking about <laughs> defense with the DVOA stat that proves my point because I'm, you're good. I'm fairly confident DVOA wise. They, unless the recent run with McCaffrey really changed things, but I don't know. It's a real, it's a tough one because yeah, I want to say that next year, I, I guess so. As we like go through this offseason, you'll hear us a lot, and we will talk about Trey Lance versus Brock Purdy a lot. And I, th- I would be really interested in seeing, assuming Lance starts and the offense is geared towards Lance, how McCaffrey and Lance in the backfield works together, because I think that opens up a lot more opportunities. Another quick thing I want to say with the addition of McCaffrey and the emergence of Mason, the 49ers have a fourth running back. Rookie third-round pick, I guess, rookie year ended, Tyrion yep. Davis-Price. Oh, that guy. And, I mean, so, obviously, you don't draft a third-round running back and then get Christian McCaffrey because you think he's the greatest thing in the world, but... It's a it's an interesting question. What do you what do you think about Tyrion Davis Price and his place on this team? Because, you know, I think they treat him or consider him very different from how they like thought about Trey Sermon. It seemed like right. Sermon was legitimately not really like someone they were ever going to go to. Yeah. Davis Price got hurt in the game against Seattle and kind of was not a big special teams player, and that basically sealed his fate for the year. But, you know, he looked like he had a little bit of pop. His stats weren't great, 2.9 yards per carry, 99 yards and 34 attempts. But you think, is there something there? Is there a place for him on this team? Gosh. Um, At this point, it kind of feels like he's still going to be the fourth guy, right? Um. Because McCaffrey is a, is a given, you know, he'll be for, here for two more seasons uh, at least, although I anticipate they're going to do something with his contract to probably keep him around a little bit longer at a lower number. Um, Elijah Mitchell, if he can stay healthy, is obviously your number two. And we saw the difference that he made when he was out there with McCaffrey and just the 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 pressure that he put on that that put on opposing defenses. Um, I think Jordan Mason has shown enough both as a running back and also as a special teams guy to to make it hard for Ty Davis Price to supplant him. And that's really going to be the difficult part, right? Because with Shanahan's offense, the third the third running back doesn't get out there unless something happens to the to the guys in front of him. And so you got to have something else that you're doing, right? There's only 46 guys out there on game day. You can't be just standing on the sideline doing nothing unless you're the Unless you're the backup quarterback, you you have something that you're going to be doing, and you know occasionally like a backup offensive lineman. But I imagine they probably have something to do too, right? Um, so if Ty Davis Price can't find a niche for himself, special teams wise, I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see him go the way of Trey Sermon. But um, 
He's also, as you noted, a different kind of guy than Trey Sermon was. I think he fits what Shanahan wants to do better. He's just going to need to show something. Um, but this is also what Shanahan has done to a lot of his his rookie players in a lot of cases. You know, um, Trey Sermon got this. Danny Gray got this. Same thing this season. Um, I feel like he would have done it to Brandon Ayuk, but he couldn't because Debo was out for a lot of that season, and they were down to like basically Ayuk and. Richie James and like one other player and that was it. Um, Debo seems to be the only rookie like high level rookie on offense who seems to have avoided this altogether. Like I don't recall him ever being in the doghouse or there ever being a situation where it's like he's not playing or anything like that. He stepped out there immediately and you know he had growing pains but I mean we're talking about a guy who and I just I just noted this the other day I, I, I was looking at something that I wrote not to bring up bad news, but I was I was writing something about I was looking at something that I wrote after the the Super Bowl in 2019, and it's like Diva Samuel was going to win the the MVP award of that Super Bowl if they'd won. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. It's like he was a rookie and he was going to win the Super Bowl MVP if they'd won that game. Um, so what a weird situation that is. Um, all that to say, I don't know if Ty Davis Price he's going to have to jump over over Jordan Mason, which means he's going to have to show that he's capable of being the the running back in case something happens to Elijah Mitchell or to Christian McCaffrey, obviously none of them can replace McCaffrey, but I, I don't know. I could certainly see a situation where he makes the team or, or, or the same thing happens to him that happened to Trey Sermon where Shanahan falls in love with another running back that he takes in the fourth or third or fourth or fifth round. And then he's out on his, on, on the street and gets traded. And now maybe he's going to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> which is what Trey Sermon might do this year. So that's funny. Oh, yeah. Completely yeah, he's, forgot. He's on the he's Eagles. On the- he was inactive for the NFC Championship game. That's why you forgot. Wow. What a throwback. I, <laughs> I agree. And potentially, for those of you listening, you may be hearing about an episode somewhere in the future where we really go through the 49ers drafts under Shanahan and John Lynch because you're right. Around day two – things get real dicey for them mm-hmm. with the exception of Debo Samuel. And especially when they try to go on offense, it's, it is, it's not a pretty sight, but I think, I think that's right. It's a, it's a weird situation because I think Jordan Mason has a real role on this team. I'm of the opinion and my opinion is most definitely probably like, the minority view. I think Mason is the second best running back on the team right now hmm. behind McCaffrey. And I would, I would much sooner see him be the second running back than see him get cut for Ty Davis price. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think he's in danger of getting cut for Ty Davis price, to be honest with you. I mean, he was an undrafted rookie that survived all of the running backs they had in camp this year. And he, he elevated himself to basically being the backup for several weeks um, when Elijah Mitchell was out and McCaffrey was here. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that of and all. All right. So um, what do we got next? Uh, passing defense. Um, actually, I'll, I'll let you start with the passing defense. So this is a this is a real interesting one because I think there were it was incredibly up for the beginning part of the year. I think. Emmanuel Mosley, complete Charverius Ward and Emmanuel Mosley completely changed this defense when they were both healthy. 
this defense, this was the number one defense in the NFL, but this defense was almost without question, like historically good when both those corners were out there because both of them played exceptionally well. I think Hufanga had an incredible blazing start and kind of cooled off a little bit at the end. Tashawn Gibson was a revelation at free safety, which allowed the Niners to play Jimmy Ward at nickel, though it seems Ward was very vocal about not wanting to play nickel. And apparently (laughs) this may be apocryphal, but there are reports that on, he was like an, on an IG live Instagram live. I saw, I I saw it. He did all the, all these things are true. Okay. And he, he didn't want to play nickel and the, he told Kyle Shanahan that and Shanahan said, what do you want to do beyond the bench? So, (laughs) I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy Ward pros pro did what he had to do for the team, but I mean, he's looking to play free safety, strong Mm -hmm. safety, safety for the next NFL team he plays on. And it doesn't seem like that's going to be the 49ers, especially with how like, well, Gibson played. I don't think they're going to make Gibson the starter per se, but I think yeah. they just they saw life afterward and potentially were okay with it. But I mean, once once mostly got hurt, things were really like unsteady. Jason Verrett, which I believe that's one of the earliest videos, videos, one of the earliest podcast episodes I was on. We were talking about Verrett's tragic re-tearing of the Achilles and his tragic injury just like really put a damper and I mean the 49ers basically competed the rest of the year not really knowing what they have in the secondary. Diamador Lenore kind of took that outside corner job and didn't really run with it so much as like guarded off not so strong opposition but he played quite quite well. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, I think his play against the Seahawks was very, very good. Against the Cowboys, he was also quite good. And then the Eagles game, I mean, it's hard to tell really, but he was in stride for most of the game. And then, you know, the Eagles stopped passing the ball. So I'm going to give them a A minus just because I think in doing these recaps, it's really easy to kind of like just talk about where we were like when the season ended, but I think the 49ers pass defense was really the strong point of the defense in the beginning part of the year. And it kind of kicked up during the win streak as well. But, and we'll talk about this more, I think as we get into like just the future and the off season, but I'm really interested in what the future of this secondary in particular is. Also, throwaway line, Fred Warner, best linebacker in the game, incredible coverage in the intermediate part of the field. Yeah. Absolutely erased everything. Goes without saying as how talented he is and how incredible his play was. But I really think the secondary has a lot of interesting questions because assuming Ward doesn't come back, you have Lenore who arguably played well enough in the playoffs to justify staying as the starter you might have a safety position open up. Sam Womack might be your nickel next year, but we don't really know if how the team feels about him in that position. So it's just lots of questions, but I think they really held up this yeah. season. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think I'm. I think I agree with you there. Um, you look at the just the the numbers. They they don't look like great. Um, they gave up the 20th most yards in the NFL. Um, but if you look through the individual games, there are some massive outliers. Like they gave up 417 passing yards to the Chiefs in Week Seven, um, and they gave up 365 yards to the Raiders in Week 17. Um, my math's not great, but that's like what, like almost eight almost 800 yards of the 303,789 yards that they gave up, which means they gave up to the rest of their opponents less than 3,000 yards, which is pretty good. Um, you know, across the board, you look at the numbers, they were massively low. I mean, you can't really count the Chicago game. They gave up 105 yards to the Bears in the week one, but um, the passing game was not really working for either team there. Um, they didn't give up 200 yards passing until week four. And then they did exactly 200 yards against the Rams in week four. Um, only gave up a buck 67 to the Rams when they met again in October. Um, 187 of the Chargers, which is incredibly impressive considering um, that was Justin Herbert. Um, 197 of the Saints. Uh, 194 to the Cardinals in the week in the closer. They had a couple of numbers that were in the 200s, mid 200s. But if you throw out that those two outliers, the Chiefs and the and the Raiders, they they did well um, overall. Um, I think there were some times, certainly they were more susceptible to deep passes, but I think that's something that is true of, frankly, any team that's built on the uh, uh, on the pass rush in the same way that this team is. Because if you think about it, that's 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 the way this team is built, right? Defensive line, and then you know you you build a secondary that's just good enough to keep um, to keep their coverage. And th- these things happen. If the pass rush can't get home, then, then they, then they struggle in, in those deep passes. And they had a couple of, of, of really strong receivers that they had to go up against this year as well. So that came into play, but I, I, I agree with you. I think the pass defense got a little bit more, mal- more maligned than I think it deserved. And I think they did really well. Um, the other notable thing, um, is that uh, they did have 20 interceptions, or sorry, excuse me, yeah, 20 interceptions, which was uh, first in the league. So that's that helps your your case a little bit there too, Akshas. I agree, and I think actually you made a good point about this being a pass team because we should talk, I think, about the defensive lines rushing in the context of the pass defense because. Nick Bosa won Defensive Player of the Year. I, I will be amazed if he didn't win it. But I I think, actually, Eric Armstead was hurt in and out. But when he's in, Eric Armstead is a consummate professional and a talented player who really helps his defense go. I think, though, the 49ers did actually have some trouble getting that other guy that they need. And I think... It didn't really matter too much because Bosa is so good, and they just cycle in enough dudes who are like each equally talented enough to take care of business, but none able to be that step in between game wrecking like Bosa. And there are really very few players like that. So, yeah. you know, getting two on one team is already such a big deal. But you want something maybe a little more than. Than what Samson Ebukam, Charles, and Charles Amenehu, and Jordan Willis gave you. Drake Jackson was okay as a second-round rookie. I think defensive line players either are ex- really good really fast or they take some time to kind of grow in to the NFL and the physicality of it. 
and he's still shaping his body. So there's at worst talent that'll be in a depth role there, but you know, you don't really want to become a pass rush that's reliant on one player getting home. So Mm -hmm. I, it's an interesting question because, you know, to look ahead a little bit as to what needs the 49ers have, I don't really think bookend pass rusher is a need per se. I think they can bring back one of the guys they have now and be totally fine and still be an exceptional pass rush. But, that's certainly a want to get to get a a little more talent at that spot and get someone who like best case was like D Ford in twenty nineteen. Yeah, that's what that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, if there is a space where the twenty nineteen defense has this most current iteration, I think it's the fact that they had, well, not a fully healthy D Ford, but when he was out there, he he put on he was. The, having him opposite Bosa put a lot of pressure on on defenses and so, or on offensives offenses and that's I think really important so um good good shout um on that one all right so that leads us to the rushing defense I don't know how you don't give this an A plus um so that's what I'm gonna go with uh it somehow they ended up being number two in the NFL in yards per attempt allowed which is just wild because uh, they only give up three point four yards per carry um they're also number two in total yards uh allowed um but uh f- the the really telling number here is that they were second in total yards allowed but they were first in rushes attempted against so it wasn't as if teams weren't running against them and they were just like blowing teams out and people were just and teams were just throwing the ball and not running um te- teams were trying to run and and, and they couldn't do it um so i i mean i think there's they they ended the season without allowing a single rusher, a single like teams got over 100 yards, but a single rusher to rush over 100 yards. I believe they still held the not a single player ran over 70 yards on them, even heading into the playoffs. If I'm not mistaken, they held that that distinction throughout all of the uh, games that they played this year, um, all 20 games that they played this year. That's wild. Um so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's an A+. I'm not really sure how they could improve on, on the output uh, that they put on um, on on what they did uh, stopping the run this year. I, I mean, I agree. There's not really – the only thing I think to say is it's even more exceptional given how their big interior tackles were shuffling in and out the entire year. You know, Kinla still working himself into shape, did not play particularly well when he came back. Armstead in and out. Givens was hurt for a little bit. Hassan Ridgway missed the final few games, but he was an excellent depth addition. And I mean, like, they got it done. It was exceptional. And it really, like you said, teams did run, try to run the ball against them, and it just... They took away options. They made teams one-dimensional, and that was a that was a huge part of allowing their pass first to really gear back and go. And I think in the Eagles game, we saw what happens when a team could utilize the run. Although the 49ers still did a great job against that until like all hell broke loose. But it was it was it was it's if there's one thing from this season, you can say. Yeah, just give me exactly that. It would be the run defense. Yeah, 
Um, just to be clear, they they were actually tied. The Titans also held their opponents three point four yards per carry, so it's a it's a wash. I think the Titans got above them because they were just slightly better in total uh, yards allowed. They only gave up 1,307 yards against the 49ers, 1,321 yards. So uh, pretty impressive nonetheless. Um, all right. So that leads us to uh, special teams, which I don't know. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you start because I think it's your turn to start. Special teams. Uh, so kicking and returning kicks and stopping people from returning kicks. That's basically the game right there. There we go. This is a real tough one, I think, because special teams is so disparate in the different things it encompasses to where, I I don't know, like, you know, it's a, it's a weird one. I mean, Robbie Gold, only 84% on the 84.4% on the year. That's not very, very good at all. Missed one in between 20 and 29 yards and four in between 40 and 49 yards. And I mean, Robbie has been great. And I think there's a calmness you have with him just with how he's been here before. But he's, um, he, I think it's time that the team lets him go in a sense. And really, like, allows themselves to to look for a kicker that gives you a vertical element and lets you, like, take chances to get to a 55-yard field goal because he has the leg for it. So field goals, I think, were a down point for this year. Punting was an up point. I think punt and punt coverage was really, really good. Mitch Wisnowski got a hefty contract extension as far as punters go, but he played quite, quite well. Um, Return-wise, Ray Ray McLeod obviously had the fumble against the... Dallas. Thank you. The divisional game, yep. Yes, the fumble against Dallas, and that was, that was it really for negatives. I love Ray Ray McLeod. I think... The fumble aside, and the fact that he only had one is an improvement upon, like, how he's been throughout his career. He really, he combined the ability to actually get yards returning with the mentality to get yards. And I think that was the biggest thing the 49ers missed. There was too many times where you take a fair catch when you shouldn't, you let the ball bounce when you shouldn't, you basically... And, I mean, whoever it was back there, so I don't know if it was just, like, a coaching thing or if it was a player thing. There was just, like, a unwillingness to test punt coverage teams. But, you know, we talked about it a lot. Those 5 to 10 yards, they mattered. They really help. But we get to kickoff coverage, and that was atrocious. I don't actually understand how a team can be that bad at, like, kickoff <laughs> coverage. Because it, it wasn't even just the, like, so first of all, Reason like number two to get a new kicker. This is this has nothing to do with gold himself. He's forty, but if Mitch Wisnowski gets like leg fatigue because of from kicking off as well as punting, so you can't use him for that. You got to get someone who can kick it through the back yeah. of the end zone. I yeah. mean, there shouldn't it's be just... this many. They had fifty. They gave up fifty-one kickoff returns as opposed to um, Ray Ray McLeod returned it twenty-six times. So that's quite a quite a discrepancy. And I mean, 
the average return yards was only 21.5, but you started the seven, which is, or like the four, you're basically at the 25, 26. Near the end of the year, things really started to jump up more. I mean, it was just, it's an unnecessary thing to deal with right now with how like talented kickers are in terms of raw leg power. There's just, there's no reason for yeah. for a team to deal with these many kick returns. And I think real quick, because I almost forgot, but I don't want to forget the 49ers had an all pro yes. on special teams in George Odom. So I think yep. they invested in it. And in most places where they invested, I think they got a good return. It's about cleaning up the other parts. Because I think if you can get a guy who can kick it far and kick it from far distances, everything cleans up exponentially. Yeah. The the fact that Robbie Gold has a touchback percentage under 50% is just mind-boggling to me. Um, not just, just shouldn't be. Like, um, and, you know, he's been, he's been great while he's been here. This has been a little bit of a down season, as you noted. Um, strangely his 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 he has a bizarre he obviously had that one short miss against the 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 seahawks which was kind of an aberration but his his strange area is not actually the long kicks because he was two for 250 plus although he his long was 51 so it must have been 50 and 51 uh on the season so make of that what you will but it was in that intermediate area that 40 to 49 he was seven for 11 that's where most of his misses came from um, which is just strange, and I don't quite understand it. Um, he's going to be 40 years old. He's had a good long career. I think the main one of the main reasons you get rid of him is because if his salary is going to continue to go up, what what's he making now? Like five or five million a year? Like we, they can't put that kind of money into a kicker. Like find somebody, uh, draft someone if you have to, or find an undrafted guy this offseason. I think it might be time to to move on. So. Um, Mitch, which Mistowski had a, a Mitch Wishnowski, gosh, that's hard to say, um, had a great season, as you said. So, um, I'm, I'm all on board with everything. His, his, uh, his, uh, exceptional percentage was the number of punts he had inside the 20, which was 52.5%, 32 of his punts inside the 20, which is partially him, but also attributing uh, a lot of factors to players like George Odom and Sam Womack, who, who was actually really exceptional in uh, doing that, uh, downing the kicks down the field. So good work to those guys as well. Um, did you give a grade? I'm, I'm, I missed it. <laughs> oh, I did not. I, I thought, <laughs> so like I how do I neatly sum it? I guess a C, I would say. I think the good was good, but special teams is one of those hard things where when anything that isn't like up to great is a huge deal. So yeah. I think C is the best I could do. Yeah, and it's kind of hard. You kind of almost wish that you could like chop it up into smaller pieces, but we're not going to do that. So I'm I'm with you on that. Um, I don't know. I might even give it a C plus just to just make it feel a little bit better. But there we go. All right. So that leads us to the last thing, and then we'll um we'll wrap this this up as where we've been talking for a long time. This has been a good long extended episode. Our our opportunity to to finish the season off, um, and we'll talk more about what we're going to do after this. But coaching, um. Also a weird one to talk about because there have been times when Kyle Shanahan has made some just baffling decisions and he continues to be one of the more um, conservative coaches in the NFL. So when you just take it like that, it's kind of hard to give him like too high of a grade. But there's been some times 
where he's shown some aggressiveness. I think he was showing a lot more aggressiveness when Trey Lance was the quarterback. Uh, he got a little. He had a little bit more aggressiveness in him when when uh, when Brock Purdy was out there, as opposed to Jimmy Garoppolo, which probably tells you something. But um, I think the other thing that you have to think about is coaching on the on the whole. Um, D'Amico Ryan's obviously uh, going off to to the Houston Texans, so good for him. But he was also massive. He I think he won uh, was it the Pro Football Writers uh, Assistant of the Year award, uh, which is which is huge. And then you can't take away from the fact that. Kyle Shanahan, for all of his faults, made this quarterback situation what it was. I, I don't think there's any two bones about that, right? Like Brock Purdy is probably a talented player in and of himself, but you, if you put him in another situation, it's hard to say that he would be as successful as he was, as he as he was for this 49ers team. So, um, is there still stuff to work on? Could Shanahan still clean some stuff up? Absolutely. Could he stand to get a little bit more aggressive? Absolutely. And hopefully as he gets more comfortable with his quarterbacks and that sort of thing, maybe he will. But um, I think it's hard to look at the season, and give it anything but an A for me. It's not a high A, but it's it's, uh, you know, maybe like a 90, you know, for doing the, the college scale, which I, I would because that's what I do for a living. But um, I, I think you have to factor in all that stuff, Shanahan and the rest of the offensive staff and D'Amico Ryans and all those things and it all kind of bunches together and you could probably give each coach an individual grade in that particular, but I think on the whole, it was an A season for all the reasons that, that you can think of the way that it ended, the way that it went. I don't know. That's just me. I, I totally agree. I think everyone will have their bones to pick about Shanahan and most of them, like 99% of them are unfounded, just like ad hominem attacks off this idea that like the head coach is capable of controlling everything that happens on the field, including like player execution. And I think that's just not fair. I think, you know, Trey Lance's injury was unfortunate, but not like an indication of Shanahan. Jimmy Garoppolo's injury was definitely not an indication of Shanahan. Debo Samuel's injury, again, like, these are all like things that happen. It's football. So those perspectives, I don't think I don't really agree with those. I think there is a legitimate like gripe with his like basically game sense that he needs to um, like figure out. I think he needs to get more comfortable with his offense. And as weird as that sounds, given how he's an offensive genius, just like trust in his own offense. And I think, you're right. He was way more comfortable with Lance when it came to being aggressive. And I think that's because he trusted the like threat of the 49ers offense with Lance and what it could do. So beyond that, I mean, he's probably going to be either first or second for coach of the year voting. He made three separate quarterbacks look exceptional at times and somehow managed to keep a team in the game with Josh Johnson in the NFC championship game. And then of course, D'Amico Ryans was exceptional and, you know, he'll do as great things as possible with the Texans because that'll be a long rebuild, but you know, it is what it is. I just think, I think the other thing that's really important about Shanahan that this season kind of showed, but will be important as this like, Shanahan coaching three tree grows, which is crazy to think about. There are already three assistants of his who are head coaches. 
strictly from his time with the 49ers, not including assistance when he was in other locations. I think his ability to find coaching talent and hire the right guys and empower them, we don't really know what goes on behind the scenes, but Robert Sala, exceptional defensive coordinator. D'Amico Ryan's exceptional defensive coordinator. Brian Greasy, who did incredible work as the QB coach. Obviously, we don't really know the extent to which how the QB coach plays a role because we we don't know. We don't know like how the staff delineates work, but clearly he's really, really good at getting guys to coach. And I think as the NFL shows you being a head coach is about knowing football, but it's also about being able to create a sustainable machine. And with him calling offensive plays and his ability to find coaches that fit what he wants his team to look like, it's a, it's a, it's a recipe of stability. So I would give him an A. I would give him potentially an A plus. I'd wow. say I think I think the defensive coaching was spectacular. And I really think the offense maximized itself as much as it could, working around like all the limitations there. And I just think individual like game management decisions just feel less significant than the hugeness of like keeping this team afloat for as long as they were with with what was going on at QB. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, obviously that, that strength that you mentioned is going to be tested again. He's going to have to find a new defensive coordinator. It will not be Vic Fangio who's going to Miami. Um, you know, whether or not that's good or bad, I don't know. A um, couple of names out there that we'll see how that goes. Um, Anthony Lynn has been pulled in to maybe uh, go to Washington to join their staff. The 49ers could of course do what they did with Mike McDaniel couple of seasons ago and just uh, uh, elevate uh, Anthony Lynn to offensive coordinator if they want to keep him around, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, um, looking forward to who uh, this season is now is now behind us. Um, I, I kind of shocked myself a little bit. I was scrolling through Twitter today and they were somebody mentioned something about, you know, the injury report. And I was like, oh, wait, isn't football? Oh, wait, no, there's still another game to go, um, which is what you do when your team's out of it. Right. You're like, I don't care anymore. But uh, the Super Bowl is coming up. Uh, 10 days from now. Um, but until then, we'll, we're going to take a little break here at the Niner Noise podcast, you know, reset ourselves, and then we'll get into the off-season stuff here in the very near future. We'll start talking about what should we do with all this, uh, all these free agents that we have, that the 49ers have at their, um, that are leaving the team. What what kind of needs are they going to be looking for throughout the off-season and through the draft and all those kinds of things. And so, um, Agshaz, I'm Looking forward to having those conversations with you in just a few weeks. Um, but uh, for you people out there in uh, Niner Noise podcast land, thanks, as always, for listening to this episode and throughout the whole season, uh, sticking with us um, at the Niner Noise podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Please continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And, of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.